Aloha. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month. This is a very sensitive topic, may not be appropriate for some young listeners, but today we are going to talk to Cindy Shimomo Saito. She is the Executive Director of the Sex Abuse Treatment Center here in Hawaii at the Kapiolani Medical Center for Women and Children, and Dr. Nancy Smiley. She is a sexual assault forensic examiner who also works at the center, and we are going to talk about what is the definition of sexual violence and who does this apply to? Because as we know, it takes a community-wide response for all of us to work together to try and reduce this in our society. So thank you for joining me tonight, ladies. Thank you for thank having you. me. Now, Dr. Smiley, let's start with you. You know, sometimes people don't really understand what constitutes a sexual assault. What exactly does this mean? And when we hear about this, what are we referring to? A great question. Sexual assault is sexual contact or behavior that occurs without the explicit consent of the victim. This can include rape or attempted rape, fondling, unwanted sexual touching, forcing a victim to perform sexual acts. So if it's not wanted, it's pretty widespread, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. And Cindy, how often do we talk about, when we think about sexual assault, this is part of sexual, it's a violence that we're dealing with. Is this something that only happens to certain age groups? Do, Do we just hear about it in certain in certain locations, or could this be, is this kind of for everybody? Yeah, it's extremely prevalent. Um, And it just happens a lot more often than people think. Nationally, it's estimated that about one in four girls and one in 13 boys will experience sexual victimization by the time they turn 18 years of age. And You know, it it does not discriminate. Um, It can happen to anyone, regardless of their age, race or ethnic background, gender identity or sexual orientation or religion or economic status or or situation. Um, Last year in 2020, at the Sex Abuse Treatment Center, we saw nearly 1,000 survivors, 978 to be exact. Uh, 54% of them were adults and 46% were children. And you know, the youngest that we saw last year was one year old. And the oldest was 95 years of age. Wow. And those are just the people who report it, who come to the center. There may be many more who don't even report this, I would think. Absolutely. I think it's known nationally that it's you know, one of the most underreported crimes for a lot of different reasons. Why do you think that is? But, you know, it's... It, It takes so much courage to come forward. Sex assault is such a personal um, and private crime. And so to actually put words to something so private and personal and to share it with others takes tremendous courage. And I think oftentimes um, there are feelings of self-blame, feelings of confusion. Oftentimes the person that sexually assaulted someone is someone who they knew and trusted. Um, so there's a lot of self-doubt and, and looking inward. And then this kind of um, understandable 
questioning um, is reinforced too often by, by the community. Um, I think it's the only crime where focus oftentimes is on the person who has been harmed. You know, when you, you take, for example, uh, a car theft, nobody says, you know, why did you park there? Or what were you thinking driving that kind of car? Or if you were walking down the street and you got mugged and somebody took your money, nobody would question, why, what were you thinking carrying money in your pocket like that? Didn't you, didn't you know better? I mean, what, were you kind of asking for that? That doesn't happen in, in these kinds of other crimes. But it's not unusual to have this kind of thinking or questioning be, you know, be targeted to the victim of sexual assault. So for all of those reasons, people just have a hard time coming forward. Well, and that, you know, when you put it in those terms, nobody ever blames, why did you park there? Or, you know, why do you carry money on your person? Well, because maybe you need to, right? So absolutely, I think victim blaming or victim shaming is something that we unfortunately see too often. And you're correct. It may be more in crimes of this nature that we tend to say, what were you wearing or where were you or, you know, were you drinking or something along those lines? When in fact, if it's unwanted, when we go to what Dr. Smiley, you said, it's any behavior that occurs without the explicit consent of the victim. It's unwanted. Mm -hmm. It There was no agreement that that was okay. It doesn't matter what clothes you're wearing or what you're where you're at or what hour of the day it is it's unwanted and that's just that's the crux of it now denial i think comes into play at some point somebody who says i can't believe that happened i just want to not think about it or suppress it but it can come out and there may be some other types of symptoms someone might have and not even realize that it's related to this whole sexual assault they may have experienced what are some of those symptoms that someone might have, even if they haven't reported the crime? Well, you know, everyone responds um, differently to sexual victimization, but we do see oftentimes in the acute phase, shortly following the, the sexual assault, um, some acute symptoms people struggle with, such as appetite or sleep disturbance. Sometimes people experience mood swings. You know, one moment feeling okay, and then all of a sudden feeling very, very down or, or irritable. We see difficulty concentrating and, and different emotions surfacing, such as sadness or, or fear or anger. And, you know, earlier I was just talking about how most times it, the offender is somebody known to the survivor. So as the individual tries to make sense of what just happened, there's a lot of confusion and feelings of self-blame for trusting the person. During this acute phase, it, it's, you know, trying to make sense of, of the situation and sometimes feeling like you're going crazy because of all these different conflicting emotions hitting you. A lot of times people deal with this by trying to push away the feelings or, or you know, deny the impact of it, and they try to go back to a sense of normalcy, return to normal kind of activities. And sometimes this works for a little while, but oftentimes if the sex assault is not dealt with, there are long-term psychological and physical effects that can result. For example, somebody might experience anxiety or depression over time or might develop post-traumatic stress disorder. Or some, sometimes substance abuse can become an issue as survivors try to numb out the, emo 
you know, the emotional pain or the impact. But the good news is that with treatment that specifically addresses the impact of the sexual assault, victims do regain a sense of control, and oftentimes they, they can emerge even stronger. Well, it is nice to know that there is some good news that by expressing what happened and dealing with that trauma, that may help them. That may help them to feel stronger and not have those other symptoms that you mentioned, the sleep disturbance, appetite disturbance, mood swings, difficulty concentrating. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. When we come right back, we're going to talk more with Dr. Nancy Smiley and Cindy Shimomo Saito from the Sex Abuse Treatment Center about what are some of the physical impacts of this and what sort of services are available right here in the islands. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Ulupono Initiative. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I have Cindy Shimomo Saito, Executive Director of the Sex Abuse Treatment Center, which is a program of the Kapiolani Medical Center for Women and Children, and Dr. Nancy Smiley. She is a sexual assault forensic examiner, and we are talking today about a difficult topic, but April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month, and so we are talking about what does that constitute what are some of the side effects and symptoms of it? And what can we all do to provide community-wide support for people so that they don't feel as though this is something where it becomes so difficult to report it or where they get the sense that society is allowing or feeling like this is acceptable as it is unwanted behavior with no consent. Now, right before the break, we were talking about some of the psychological impacts. Dr. Smiley, what are some of the physical impacts and how is this actually addressed? So at the Sexual Abuse Treatment Center, we offer 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week medical legal services. Um, Sexual Abuse Treatment Center, like you mentioned, is part of the Kapiolani Medical Center for Women and Children. But I do want to remind everyone that we provide care for all ages and genders, regardless of gender identity. So we do treat boys and men and really anybody who's been a victim. We are happy to see them. So me, as a sexual assault forensic examiner, or SAFE, S-A-F-E, I'm there to provide all of this care for my patient. And then we have a crisis counselor who's also there to provide the needed emotional support to the survivor and the family. We care for any acute injuries, and oftentimes patients are worried about sexually transmitted infections, including HIV, and we provide medications to prevent those, as well as pregnancy prevention medications, if indicated. We conduct a sexual assault examination during which evidence is collected in the event that the patient wants to pursue criminal charges. This Evidence collection needs to take place within 120 hours of the sexual assault to ensure viable DNA sample collection. We also provide laboratory tests as well as toxicology screening if the patient is concerned that he or she was drugged. And also because children often delay telling anybody about the abuse that may be happening to them, we do have a specialized pediatric clinic for the examination of minors beyond that 120-hour time frame. And then we have a high-risk victim clinic, which provides medical forensic care for individuals who 
are believed to be survivors of commercial sexual exploitation or sex trafficking. And anybody, like I mentioned, can access our services, which are free of charge, by the way. We are a not-for-profit facility at Kapiolani Hospital. So the patient can either call 911 to report or get services, but if they're not quite ready to call 911, they can call our 24-hour hotline, which is 808-524-7273, and we can help them that way. Now, you mentioned that the goal would be to collect evidence within the first 120 hours, if possible. But if somebody is not quite sure if they're going to file charges, should they still have the evidence collected, and do they get to make a decision later about whether or not that should be processed? Absolutely. Reporting to the police is up to the individual. We never force them to report unless it's mandated by law, such as with a child abuse reporting law type situation. If the patient hasn't reported to the police at the time of the exam and they want to, we can help them with initiating that report, or if they're undecided, we collect the evidence anyway, and we hold it securely until they make a decision. Sometimes people who initially didn't want to report to law enforcement have a change of heart or their situation changes, and we can't go back and collect the DNA once that happens. So if the patient agrees to it, we will collect the evidence and we'll secure it while we get that opportunity until they decide what they'd like to do. So there's no, there's no reason for somebody who wants to consider reporting it, but isn't 100% certain to hold off on evidence collection because they can always be saved for later. And you mentioned that services are available, whether or not you have insurance, this is a nonprofit location, they're not going to charge you to do this examination and to have these tests performed. That is correct. You know, I'd like to also point out, though, that in addition to evidence collection, one of the main things, one of the main reasons that people come to see us is for medical care and for emotional support immediately following the sex assault. There, you know, in that aftermath of the victimization, it's so important to, to connect to, to people or professionals who understand how to provide the right kind of care. So while the evidence collection is, is truly important, it's just one piece of that whole medical legal forensic care that is provided. It really is making sure that they're, they're medically okay, that they're safe, and that they are linked up with all the different kinds of support services that are needed. That's well, and Cindy, you bring up the point. It's, it's such a difficult time. It's such a sensitive situation that somebody needs those extra services and of all times to want to have the information provided to them so they don't have to go searching and find out how do they see a counselor? How do they get psychiatric help? Are there group support that they could go to but still maintain some confidentiality? Having all that information provided, sort of like the answers to questions you didn't even know you needed to ask. Mm -hmm. Because there are people who are experienced in how to handle this, just having it all available and given to you without having to have an individual think about asking for it, sounds like it's a wonderful opportunity to reach out to this 
to these groups of victims who need that extra support, and they may still be in shock. Exactly. That's very, very true. So, you know, we do have, um, we designed our our services with that in mind. It, it's very comprehensive and, and integrated. So one, one piece of our service provision kind of flows into the next. So in addition to the medical care and the crisis support that Dr. Smiley was just talking about, we have the short-term counseling services that target and address the acute symptoms that I mentioned earlier. Um, we also have ongoing advocacy and support because when sex assault happens, there are many challenges that can arise as a result. You know, they're, they're tossed into contact with systems that, that may be foreign to them. So there's that kind of ongoing support. We also have individual and family outpatient therapy. We have psychiatric consultation and medication management and case management services. And if somebody does decide or choose to go through that criminal justice process, we're able to be there through that as well to provide accompaniment to legal proceedings, things like that. Um, At different times during the year, we sometimes offer trauma-sensitive movement and mindfulness group therapy. And then finally, we have education and community outreach um, that we, we hope is out there to raise awareness, reduce sexual violence, and, and really hopefully create positive change. That's our goal. Now, if you happen to see somebody who this has taken place in the past, and maybe they're interested in some of the counseling services or some of the other opportunities to receive some some group therapy or some other type of interaction, it's never too late. If somebody has had a situation in the remote past, there still may may be some benefits to them for interacting with the Sex Abuse Treatment Center, right? Oh, yes, absolutely. You know, other than the medical care um, that Dr. Smiley was talking about, the acute medical exam needs to happen within 120 hours. Um, For the, the kids, population that the youth were able to see them for medical services well beyond. But for those who just are interested in counseling services and that emotional support, it doesn't matter if you were just recently assaulted or whether it happened many, many years ago. Um, we're here and we can address that the impact, what, you know, whether it's acute or whether it's long-term. All right, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Potty Show. And I have Cindy Shimomo Saito, Executive Director of the Sex Abuse Treatment Center on the line, and Dr. Nancy Smiley, Sexual Assault Forensic Examiner. And when we come back, we're going to talk some more about what should someone do if they are a victim of a sexual assault, and what are some of the things that parents in the community can do to support some of the children who may actually be engaging in social media and other types of interactions that might lead to sexual violence that is not something that people may have initially expected but could be a result of some of these inappropriate behaviors. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Honolulu Waldorf School. 
Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. And April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month. And today we are talking with folks from the Sex Abuse Treatment Center here in Hawaii at the Kapi'ilani Medical Center for Women and Children. Cindy Shimomi Saito, Executive Director, and Dr. Nancy Smiley. She's a sexual assault forensic examiner. And right before the break, we were talking about some of the services that are available, which, although the examination may be time-sensitive, all of the other counseling and other benefit services are available regardless of the timing of a sexual assault. However, if someone were to wonder what should they do if they experience sexual violence, Dr. Smiley, what are the first steps if somebody unfortunately finds themselves in this experience, who do they call and what should they do? Excellent question. So if you or a friend of yours is assaulted, the very first thing to do is to go to a safe place and connect with someone you trust for help and support. Then call 911 to report the sexual assault, or if you're not comfortable calling 911 quite yet, you can call our 24-hour hotline at 808-524-7273 for information on the next a trained person will answer the phone and they will help you through the process. The next step is to preserve evidence, if at all possible. However, if you've already taken a shower, you can still come into the SCTC for the sex assault exam. We're learning more and more about how to collect DNA and how it sticks around a lot longer than we used to think. So please come in, even if you've already taken a shower or been swimming. If you've changed out of the clothing you were wearing during the assault, please put it in a bag and bring it with you when you come to the hospital. And more importantly, everybody should know that sexual assault happened to you, not because of you, and we can help you. And the community should know that sex assault is very prevalent here in Hawaii, just like it is across the country. And People need to know it rarely involves that stranger jumping out of the bushes or the man driving the big van through the neighborhood looking for kids to lure and kidnap. When sex assault happens, it typically happens at the hand of somebody who's known and trusted by the victim and or the family. And if someone discloses to you that they've been sexually assaulted, please know that it took a lot for them to share such a private and a personal thing with you. Thank them for trusting you enough to share, listen without judgment, and let them know how sorry you are that this happened and that you are here to support them. Very important that people understand, as you mentioned, this happened to you. It was not your fault. You didn't do anything that caused this. And I echo what we said earlier where this is one of the few crimes when everyone has this tendency to be concerned that, you know, if they were to report it, their behavior is going to be scrutinized. And we don't want people to have that inclination that we should support one another and help somebody who did feel brave enough to say that they were a victim of this of this crime. Now, I often wonder about our current mode of social media, of phones, of the ways in which people communicate. I mean, I, I'm Old enough to admit, I grew up and I did not have a cell phone. And so this was not something I really used until, you know, after residency. I'm not familiar even now with a lot of the technology. But that's one area that I think a lot of parents may not realize 
that something could be going on on social media. It may not even be a physical contact, but there could still be some inappropriate, unwanted type of behavior that can occur over social media. What what are some of the cautionary things we should have parents beware of because of the potential for this to even occur without any touching happening? You know, it's not just social media. It's just online safety in general. It's so important to be aware of how of of how to protect your kids or yourself when you're on your devices. Kids are on their devices so much more these days, right, given the pandemic, given distance learning. And what this actually means is there's an increase in opportunity for online offenders. The numbers nationally are pretty high. One in five youth have experienced online sexual solicitation, and nearly half of teens admit to taking action to hide online behaviors from their parents. So it's really important to, to have the conversation, to talk with kids about this. We, it, it's so important that we recent, recently developed a brochure to help parents address this. It's an online safety conversation guide. And it includes safety steps that can be taken, warning signs to look out for, and it provides tips on how you can talk with your child about hard things, like about meeting people online, people who may be dangerous, how to talk about sexting, which is sending nudes um, to somebody that you know, how to have a two-way dialogue with your teen, and most importantly, how to create that emotionally safe environment that's so needed when you address tough tough topics like this with your kids, you know, it's so easy for them to tune out. And you're, you're there well-intended as a parent, and they just shut you out. It's so important to be able to create that kind of environment where they want to talk so that it's a back-and-forth conversation, not just you talking at your child. Um, this brochure gives you actual words that you can use to start that conversation, how to create that kind of environment and talking situation. Um, so just reach out, contact us. We'll we'll be sure to get a brochure out to you, or you can visit um, our website at satchawaii.org, and we have online safety information there as well. Well, and it also, you know, I think there's this naivete that text messages only go to the person that receives them, and they can never be retrieved if everybody deletes it. Actually, that's not necessarily the case that particularly with online different interactions, people might not realize that once it's online, it's not something you can just suddenly erase, that it could be sent among a large quantity of people, whatever this this type of inappropriate messaging is, or if somebody feels compelled to respond and this becomes a problem that doesn't doesn't go away, you could research and find that. And it's not a behavior that you want to have follow you into adulthood or even even as you grow older it's just not uh it's not a situation i wish we had to warn kids or teens about but unfortunately it is where we're at now if somebody wanted to get more information you mentioned that a brochure could be sent to them about the online conversation guide if they wanted to get more information about the sex abuse treatment center how could they find out more about the center? 
before I answer that, Dr. Kozak, I'd just like to mention, though, that we do have, you know, education is key, right? And that's the way that we can reduce risk in this area. Um, because it is Sex Assault Awareness Month, throughout this past month, we've had weekly podcasts covering a range of topics. They're playing on Spotify, Amazon Music, and Apple Podcasts. So you just have to search for the Respect Room, and you'll be able to access all of this. There's tons of information there. We also have weekly web webinars. Our final one is this coming Wednesday, April 28th, from 1.30 to 2.30. And again, we'll you go to our website, you can um, register there. I just encourage everybody to get as educated as possible because that's the way we're going to be able to fight this and, and reduce the risk of it. Well, I agree, and I want to thank both of you for taking the time to be on the show this evening. This is Cindy Shimomo Saito, Executive Director of the Sex Abuse Treatment Center, and Dr. Nancy Smiley. She is a sexual assault forensic examiner. If you need more information, you can go to the Sex Abuse Treatment Center, satchawaii.org. And I want to thank our engineer today is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you right here next week on The Body Show. We'll see you then.